I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. Sitting in with Leanne and I today is one of our executive producers, Kim Garner. So let's begin. Today we have with us Amy Rosenberg. Her life story isn't like that of the others in our series because her career is just beginning. But why we chose to interview her is because she grew up knowing some of the top legendary rock and rollers ever to hit the music scene. That's because her dad is one of the partners in a music management company in London. As a result, she's met people like Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend of The Who, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, as well as the likes of Ronnie Wood, David Beckham, The Spice Girls, The Foo Fighters, Sting, and Ed Sheeran, just to name a few. Being backstage at rock concerts since she was a young girl has given her an interesting perspective on the lives of celebrity rock stars. So let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Amy Rosenberg. Let's talk about why you're here in Los Angeles. I'm here because I have finished school. I've been coming out here for 11 years now, and this is basically my second home. So I have a lot of family and family friends out here, and I just wanted to kind of explore what my options would be for me when I get older. And (laughs) I don't really know. I I just came out here to see what it was like to live in LA for a bit and see if this would potentially be somewhere that I would want to end up when I'm older. So your impetus for being here was that you were given an opportunity to have an internship. In October, I came out here and I was talking to Jordan, my my boss. Well, he asked me if I'd like to intern for his company. And I don't really know anything about the social media marketing world. And that's what his company does. They do social media marketing and social media management. I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to learn about a different role in the entertainment industry. I'm just going to help you out here a little bit. Your father is manager of The Who. So you've grown up in the music business for many a privileged position in the behind the curtains mm-hmm. world of what the entertainment business is. How does that inform what you're interested in? Well, from like the age of two, I suppose, I was brought into this whole world of the music industry and celebrity life and that kind of thing. And personally, I think I'm very lucky to have grown up in a completely different world to a lot of my friends. But it's helped me understand, you know, what's certain people alike in certain situations and personally I would love to be in the music industry just because I've grown up around so many people that have you know been a massive part of my life and they've succeeded very well in the music industry but if one of my friends you know said to me I want to be in the music business that there's so much stuff that a lot of people don't really get exposed to behind the scenes just because you know when you go to a concert you don't see what's going on you don't see all the people moving everything around and you don't see how busy it is backstage being inside the culture of a of a family that is in that business and how it informs your taste can you talk about that 
when I was younger, my dad used to do this thing where we would go out for breakfast and then we'd sit in the parking lot and he'd turn the radio up <laughs> so loud and we'd drive all the way home with the radio at like 100. <laughs> and my mum would come out and she'd be screaming, you're going to damage their ears. And my dad was like, they need to listen to proper music. <laughs> so What was proper music? So proper music, I suppose, for him was, you know, all of the... He, he wanted to introduce me and expose me to all the music that I probably wouldn't have grown up with if I didn't have a dad that was that managed the who so you know we listened to Fleetwood Mac and we listened to the who and we listened to Led Zeppelin and we listened to all of the the really famous old rock and roll bands and then when my sister and I went to school we would listen to all of the stuff that was current at that time but it was really important for my dad to show us that kind of music so that when we would go to shows and stuff, we wouldn't just kind of sit backstage and do nothing and do our own thing. We'd actually go and watch the shows and appreciate them. And I think that was really good for me because it gives you a bit of an education as well as to how, like how things have changed over the last 40 or 50 years. And it really like helps you appreciate when you hear music now, how much effort somebody would go to to make one song as opposed to somebody that's just kind of like not not saying one's better than the other but like there's so many different ways of writing a song mm -hmm. but when I was younger my parents sent my sister and I to a school in Cambridge so like we we didn't go to school with the children of the footballers and the children's of, like we didn't go to school in London where it would have been a very competitive environment although it would have been a bit more normal for me because everyone else there probably would have been exposed to the same stuff as I was at the school that I went to, I was the only person mm. who had ever been exposed to that kind of thing. There was one other girl whose brother went on a TV show when he was younger, but I was really the only one that stood out. Did that. you feel that acutely when you were a kid? Yeah, majorly. What because was that like? When I was nine or ten, going into school and saying, I'm going to the High School Musical 2 premiere, like, that was exciting for me. But it never really occurred to me that that wasn't, like, a normal thing for people to be doing. Right. So when I moved school when I was nine I moved to school from a school of people that I'd just grown up with from like the age of two so everybody knew me and like at that age you don't really know like what's normal and what's not normal so when I moved to the next school I kind of just would like tell everyone like oh this is what I'm doing and they would be like that's really weird and they would kind of see it as me showing off about what I was doing but it wasn't that I was showing off. It's just that that was part of my like normal life. You know, my dad would say, OK, this weekend we're going here or like this weekend we're flying here, you know. And so that put a lot of pressure on me when I was at school because there were people that would say, oh, like I really like Hannah Montana. Like, let's go to a concert together. And because at that time I was new to the school, I just wanted to make friends with people. So I would take 15 of my friends to go and see The Who and they would, you know, would take them backstage and whatever. And that kind of turned into people picking on me because I was different. I had a different lifestyle. You know, a lot of my friends wouldn't fly to France for a day, whereas I... You would. Just, <laughs> right, you know, you I was would. 11 or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't be like, no, I'm going to stay at home and be a normal child. You know, I had to... I would go and do what the rest of my family was doing. Did you feel bad or was it an opportunity for you to make friends because you could give them that access? I never felt bad that they didn't have the same life as me, but my attitude towards having, you know, 
having grown up in this lifestyle is it's always nice to bring friends along to do things that they probably wouldn't have been able to do so like one of my friends was going through a really tough time in her life and her favorite singer was Demi Lovato so when Demi Lovato was performing in London my dad managed to get us a meet and greet I mean, it wasn't the most amazing meet and greet in the world but you know <laughs> it made her really happy because she you know met her idol or whatever and it's just like tiny little things like that you know it didn't cost loads of money it wasn't like you know a huge big deal it was just something small that but that was a lovely thing for you to do for your friend but obviously it has its backfires sometimes like I remember I'd just gone up into like the senior part of my school and I made friends with a group of people who were two years older than me and they wanted to go to some concert my dad pulled so many strings to get these tickets and then the group of people didn't end up going. So (laughs) you have the good and the bad side of it, but 90% of the time it's good. You know, it's nice to be able to, like when The Who performed at Glastonbury, one of my friends, she's from Italy, so she's never been to any like music festival or anything. And that was the same weekend that Kanye West was playing and she's like obsessed with Kanye West. So we stayed at Glastonbury. You know, she's like telling all her friends in Italy, like I'm at Glastonbury and like all this kind of thing because I guess it was like a massive festival for them to go to. So when you say it cut both ways because girls are girls and girls are generally bitchy at that age, (laughs) I would imagine that you experienced some jealousy. Tell us a little bit about your experiences in that area. So when I first moved to the school that I've just graduated from, so I was nine when I moved there, the daughter of the head of the music department at the school, nobody knew anything about me when I went there. So she was my like buddy the day that you do like a day before you go to the school, just kind of like meeting everyone and you kind of go through like a normal school day. So she was my buddy and we became really good friends. And about a week into me joining the school, she invited me to her house. And my mum came to pick me up and her mum said, what do you do or whatever? Or like, what does your husband do? My mum's like, oh, well, my husband manages the who. And instantly the mum was completely off with my mum. Like really, she was jealous because her son was the boy that had been on this TV show. He was in this choral band who, and they'd kind of got a little bit of fame in England for about, you know, six months or whatever. So then her daughter started being horrible to me at school and she would write things about me there was this website called Bebo in England I don't know if they had it here but it was kind of like MySpace but it was for younger people and you put your picture on and you put like a little description and I was in the same sports team as her so she put like we have the best sports team like Alice blah 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 blah, and like big fat burger Amy she like wrote this and I can remember it so well because my mum wouldn't let me have this social media thing she was like no you're not getting Bebo it's like stupid thing people write horrible things about each other on there and you'd get likes so it was kind of a popularity contest as well so I was at one of my friend's houses and he had a Bebo account so I was like oh can you just look up her Bebo account so I looked up a Bebo account and that's when I saw it I got really upset about it so my mum went to the headmaster at school and we pretty much figured out that he had told the dad of this girl because he was also he was the head of the music department so he was a teacher as well so she deleted it off her Bebo account and he called my mum a liar and he said she never wrote this on there and she said well I can bring two other mothers in who saw it the mum of the boy whose Bebo account I saw it on and another mum that was there and he said no like I don't care this is a lie she would never write something like that online and I mean that was just kind of like one one out of many so that instances. was the beginning of you experiencing what I would call cyberbullying. yeah 
I think that a lot of my help, as it were, came from having this kind of other life with my dad's work. So I could escape this whole kind of school situation. We'd go to something to do with The Who or something, some kind of event, and there would be family friends there. And so going to those things would really help me kind of forget about it. And obviously, I remember once one of my best friends at the time was becoming friends with this girl who was horrible to me. And she like prank called me or something. I mean, like now that I look back at it, it seems so kind of, wow, she prank called you. But like she said something to me on the phone with this prank call and it wasn't very nice. And I remember calling my dad and I was so upset about it. And I locked myself in my room and he was like, oh, like, just don't worry about it. You're going to look back at this in six months or a year and you're just going to think like, why was I so upset about it? And he was right. At the time, it seemed like such a horrible thing that was happening to me. So you had the support of your parents. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Can, not- do you have siblings? Yes, I have a younger sibling. So were you guys, because of the conditions you're talking about and the nature of your family, were you super close with your sister? Well, when my sister came to the because she eventually then moved to the same school as me, her kind of situation at school was slightly different to mine because her group of friends were, the parents kind of all had like cool jobs, you know, so a lot of my friends, their parents were like doctors or farmers or lawyers or whatever, and like two of my sister's friends, like one of them deal in vintage designer trunks and things. And one of the other ones used to be a model. So her situation growing up was very different to mine because her friends were a lot more understanding of her lifestyle. Because she wasn't going through the same thing as I was, we weren't very close when we were younger because she didn't understand how I felt. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't explain to her how I felt because, you know, she was younger than me. She wasn't somebody that could support me in the way like my mum could or something. You know, it was very difficult for me to relate to her when we were younger. And we we would fight all the time when we were younger just because I was always very anxious. You know, I'd come home from school and I just didn't want to talk to anyone. And she would come home from school and she, you know, would go and like talk to my mum in the kitchen and like they'd discuss what she'd done at school and stuff. And over the years, as we've both got older I now am friends with some of her friends she's friends with some of my friends because we then kind of meshed into the same part of the school so at our school we had like the junior school the senior school and then the sixth form which is they're like three different parts of the school and when she came into the senior school which is 13 to 16 we're put into these things called houses which are basically just like little buildings and you are put in not dorms but they're called studies and they're rooms so you basically every time you come back from a lesson you're putting your books back in this little building so you're constantly with people from all different years so I was in the senior school with my sister you know so I'd see her all the time but I'd see her in a social environment with her friends my friends that kind of thing so we became closer through just kind of getting to know each other's friends and when you're separated from each other at school and there's a bit of not jealousy but there's kind of like you know your friends are immature like your friends are horrible kind of thing you know there was all that kind of like but it was really weird because we were horrible to each other at home and like horrible horrible to each other at school but whenever we went on holiday together we would literally be like the best friends we would barely ever argue like there would be like one or two arguments about like you're wearing my top give it back but it would never be the same kind of argument that we would have at home and that's another reason why I consider this like my second yeah. home yeah. Can, can I play something back to you it's sort of like school is just not was not a super happy place no and the real world is more of a happy place yeah. for you 
And that's why I'm quite reluctant to go to university because I never enjoyed school. I never enjoyed being in lessons. I loved being with my dad on the road, going to shows, going to events, whatever it was. Did you help him? Like, did you start to... Yeah, I would always, if he had a new band or something, he would say to me, oh, can you just like stand outside with the CD people? And I'd be like, yeah, like, give me the CDs. (laughs) And I'd, you know, stand out and and hand people CDs and they'd be like, okay, who's this eight-year-old, like, (laughs) trying to sell me a CD? But I've always wanted to try and get involved as I can. I would like to go, if I may, and talk a little bit about where you are now today. What are your aspirations? What are you thinking about doing now? I want to try and get as much work experience in different parts of entertainment as I can, just because I've grown up in the music industry, but I have, I've never, I've seen a bit of the film industry. I'm now being exposed to the social media side of business. So I just want to try and get as much experience as I can. Like a lot of my friends, they, and this is like a really big thing in England to go on gap years. So they'll just go traveling for a year. So my kind of gap year is me trying to get as much work experience as I can. And then, you know, I might decide that I want to go to university. But at the moment, I'm just really focused on trying to meet new people, learn as much about the real world and, you know, having a proper job as I can. One of the first things you said to me when you came was, I've saved a certain amount of money and I need you to help me learn how to budget myself while I'm here. So she has to live on the money that she made. And I would love to hear your point of view and what it's been like for you to live on a budget. Since I was really small, my parents have always said to my sister and I, we're not going to pay for everything for you forever. So, you know, if you want something really badly, you're going to have to pay for it with your own money. So when I was 16, I got a job and I hated it. What was it? It was catering. It was horrible. (laughs) It was, you know, I would be working from 10 in the morning till 3 in the morning. And the people that I worked for were horrible. They would shout at the first person that they saw. They would throw bottles of wine at you if they were annoyed. (laughs) I mean, it was fun at times, but that really taught me how to take everything. When somebody's shouting at you and it's not your fault, don't say, well, it's not my fault. Like, I didn't do anything. Just take it and move on because 10 seconds later, (laughs) they're going to forget about it. And, you know, they're going to be your best friend. And so when I was saving up for here, I got a job in a pub in England, which is about 100 metres from my house. So I work in a pub and my boss, he does like to shout quite a lot. He's very um, (laughs) particular about (laughs) everything in the pub. So, you know, he'll, he'll scream at you if you haven't put the light on in the fridge or something, you know, and like, there'll be like nobody in the pub, you know, he'll just kind of shout I'm sure you you saw a lot of that with artists anyway. I'm sure you've grown. Up, just yeah. seeing badly <laughs> behaved <Screamers>. creative people. <laughs> there have been so many people that have worked at this pub that have just thought, you know, he's so rude. I'm going to quit. I, I can't be bothered to deal with that. And my like attitude towards it was, I don't have to pay anything to get here because I walk. I can come here pretty much whenever I want. The hours are flexible. I'm not signed to a contract. What have I got to lose if somebody's shouting at me for 10 seconds and then they're going to walk off and then it's going to be over and done with, you know? And I've now carried on working at this pub for five months. I was working there for five months. And my mum called me the other day and said, oh, John and Judith are missing you so much. They really need you to come back. They're wondering when you're coming back. So, you know, in the end, it worked out for the best because I now, I you know, I know that I've got a job when I get home, but it was really important for me not to have to 
ring my dad every five seconds and say, I need money for this. Can you transfer money into my bank account kind of thing? I wanted to bring my own money out here that was nobody else's that I had earned. And then I wouldn't have to ring my dad and worry him that I was going to, you know, run up like a $260 bill (laughs) on my hair. It feels good, right? But at the same time... But it also makes me really aware of what I'm spending my money on because it's mine. So I'm just kind of when I get home I just like how much money do I have left like <laughs> but when I'm when I'm out and I want to buy something I'm like oh do I really need this why do I want it kind of thing and because it's my money that I've earned I'm more kind of careful as to what I spend my money on you're fortunate that you've had from a very early age grounding around these areas yeah. So now you can actually, as a young adult, not be resentful that your parents aren't paying for things. But it sounds like you actually quite appreciate the experience of learning all of this. Yeah, well, both my parents, neither of them went to university. My mum started her own curtain business when she was, I don't know how old she was, but she had it for 30 years. And she had no money and she had to borrow money from a family member and eventually paid it back. So she was trying to teach my sister and I, even though we've had a much more fortunate upbringing than both of our parents they've still tried to kind of teach us you know yes you have a very nice life and you're very fortunate but when my dad stops working you know it's not going to last forever we need to you know make our own path in life and we need to earn our own money and it was the same with my dad he left school when he was 16 couldn't afford to go to do further education so he got a job as an accountant do you think that the fact that your parents are crazy about you and your sister the fact that you were always safe and secure and knowing that you were loved and that you were cared for helped you to mitigate the horrible bullying experience you had when you were going to school. Yeah, because if I was horribly upset about something, my dad would say, well, why don't we all go up to London for the weekend and then we'll do something and you can just kind of forget about it. Like my parents would always kind of try and find a distraction so that I wouldn't be kind of sitting at home and sitting on my But you obviously and... felt secure and loved enough to even be able to share that you were having some issues. Yeah, and... because we've always travelled everywhere together. There's never kind of been like, Livy will go with my mum and I will go with my dad kind of thing. It's always, wherever we go, we'll always travel together. The majority of the time, like now that we're older, it's not really like that. But both my parents were never, ever pushy parents. And I'd look at some of my friends, like, There was a girl at my school who was the top in everything, you know, top academic, top in sports, top in music. And her mum was a pusher. You know, she was a pusher. She'd come to our sports matches and she would shout at other girls on the team. Like she would shout at us and we're like, what are you doing? You're not our coach. Like, And her daughter would get really upset about it. But the mum had to make sure that her daughter was the best. Both her daughters were the head of school. Both her daughters tried to get into Oxford University and she was denied. You know, she was rejected from Oxford. And it was really embarrassing for the mum because she'd gone around saying, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's going to be going to Oxford and we're very excited. And then she... She's putting her expectations on her child rejection letter and it was horrible watching her and I am so grateful that my parents were never like that because the girl ended up having a breakdown in front of a load of our friends saying you know I hate my mum like I hate the way that she's treated me and you know no one likes me and everyone thinks that I want to you know, be perfect to everything when I don't. And at the end of the year, all the sports teams, they give out player of the year and player of the season. And she got player of the season and she gave it to another girl. And she said, I don't deserve this. Because she wasn't even the captain of the team. This girl that 
she gave the prize to was the captain and she had basically run the whole team through the season and she said I don't want this this is for you and that was really nice to see her do that and I think that me not having pushy parents really helped both my sister and I because we never felt under pressure to do well in a certain subject you know my dad wasn't one of those dads that was like you need to be in the music business you're gonna play every single instrument and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that he was just like you know well if if something happens it's not the end of the world just move on but on the flip side you're seeing a bunch of these artists who are often badly behaved drugs alcohol a lot of abuses in that business what was that experience Well, I was never really sheltered from it. You know, I knew it was going on and my dad, he would always kind of let us watch these movies that we wanted to watch and there would be drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And I knew that, obviously I knew it was going on, but I have always been completely against drugs. Like, I don't know why I would never ever want to put something into my body. Like, I've seen so many stories of, you know, university students and people who have taken something and it would be their, like, first time taking it. Because I've grown up, I call Roger Daltrey Roger. He's like family member. You know, he's like somebody that I've known since I was born. And for a lot of people, that might seem very strange. But, you know, if I see celebrities while I'm here, I don't kind of think, oh, I must go up to them and ask for a picture or get evidence that I've seen them. Like my friends always say, like, if you don't get a picture, it never happened. I'm so unfazed by the celebrity life, but it's also kind of taught me that I don't think I'd ever want to be a celebrity because you see when you grow up in the music industry, you see like the upside of being a celebrity, but you also see the downside of being a celebrity. And, you know, I don't spend every single day being with these people and kind of living their life with them. So I don't know exactly what it's like, but I've had enough exposure to it to understand that that's not really something that I would be keen on being. And it's also just kind of taught me like they're normal people. I feel like the conversation is centered around this question of finding your identity. And you're kind of like at a starting point. And the struggle is now like, now I have to make my own side of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't just sit around with what I was born with. Yeah, I'm lucky that I've had such supportive family. You know, like my dad has always had the attitude like something goes wrong, just forget about it. You know, or you want to do something, do it. He's very laid back. Sometimes it frustrates my mum because she'll be like, Robert, can you help me? And he's like, oh, like it just doesn't matter. Like it's fine. <laughs> and my mum's like, no, it does matter because they need to learn this. And he'll be like, oh, like don't worry about it, Fiona. Or, you know, we would be watching the TV and it would be the same thing as when we were listening to the radio in the car. He'd have the TV on so loud and my mum would come in she goes you're gonna make them deaf when they're old and he goes no it's fine like they go to concerts all the time and needless to say he can't really hear properly now um, <laughs> or he has selective hearing but my sister is my best friend I mean when I was younger I probably wouldn't have said that because we were at very different stages in our life but now that you know she's 17 and I'm 19 she's going through what I went through when I was 17 like lifestyle wise and so she will ask me for a lot of advice and because we know each other's friends we talk to each other about each other's friends and like problems that we're both having and it's nice that you know she has a lot in common with my dad with soccer you know they're both (laughs) obsessed with the soccer so that's their kind of thing that they connect on and then my connection with my dad is my love for the music industry and me wanting to one day 
potentially work in it. So I go to him for a lot of advice. And then my sister and my mum have always been a lot closer than I have been with my mum. But now I'm a lot closer with my mum than I used to be. Because I'm not at school, we just spend a lot more time together. So it's kind of like the time that was lost when I was younger that I should have spent with her. And she's very good with talking to me about, you know, my friends at school. And because she knows all the parents and she knows what they're like. And she was always so adamant to go into the school and try and get them to sort out the problems that I was having. You know, she was relentless. She would go in every single day. She would <laughs> write 20 letters to the school. I mean, she went to the, like the school board about it and it got to the point where it was really bizarre. It got to the point where she was actually put on like the advisors <laughs> committee or something. <laughs> and then she like made a suggestion to try and help re- the school raise money and the chairman of government has told her to shut up and she went like fuck off and left or something. So it was like it was just like a really bizarre... So um, she's been your advocate. Yeah, but when I was younger, I never really appreciated it because she would be going in, but she'd be going in while I was in lessons. So it wasn't exactly like I was sitting there watching her kind of fight for me. She would just come home and tell me about what they'd said. And because I had all this stuff going on, I never really like paid any attention to it. But now that I'm older, I really appreciate how much she did for me. Listening to you and hearing your story has been amazing. And it sounds to me that you are optimistic about your future. Am I right? Yes. Thank you, Thank Amy. You. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much. On the next Say It Forward, you'll meet Mike Agavino, a recognized leader and pioneer in all forms of audio. He spent two decades on the front lines of media's digital and social reinvention. His career spans four decades serving as president of Cats Radio and launching Clear Channel's radio sales group for more than 1,300 Clear Channel-owned stations. He co-founded Triton Digital, which became the leading digital service provider to the radio industry and served as executive vice chairman at Podcast One, the leading podcast network where you're hearing our podcast right now. In 2016, Mike launched Workhouse Connect, a self-described influence marketing company in partnership with Workhouse Media and Workhouse Creative. Workhouse Connect collaborates with talent to optimize and build their audience and revenue. They're deeply invested in helping the market solve what Mike describes as the podverty problem in podcasting. So join us when we rewind to the beginning with Mike Agavino on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Listener.